Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. We're back uh, now at a new studio. What do you think? I like it. It is, um, I didn't, you know, this is the first time I've been in this space. Yes. Yeah, so I've had about 30 st- seconds to take it in. How many studios have we had? Uh, we've had a, man, we've had a few, but this, like, this is probably the most colorful one to date. Yes. And, uh, you know, for, for the, for the, the sake of the people who haven't been listening to our podcast since I the very first who, who could episode, I can't imagine. That. Um, re- <laughs> remind them how, how we started oh my this gosh. podcast yeah. and then and the space, you and I are snuggled together pretty close. We're, but- we're, we got six ish feet right now, but we, um, yeah, we, we had a real, um, it was so tight and had no air and, you know, I found we'd be stripping our clothes off because it was just so dark. And it was so, the you know, it was it, it got to the bowling point and that's how the name, you know, came. And and this is like completely different, spacious, yeah. colorful. I, 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 we don't have to be really close. I can we can wear a hoodie. You don't have to worry about that. We're not we're, we're sweating. Six feet apart. I yeah. think it's good. And, you know. Oh, yeah, long in, in a way, way, we've we, we've upgraded. And uh, Dave, I just wanted to host you here uh, in in a, in a more roomy environment. I appreciate it. Yes, and uh, that's the segue to our our guest. I was today. waiting for that segue. Yes. So our guest today is uh, a very good. Uh, I, 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 when I say old friend, all I mean by that is we've been friends for a number of years. A very young friend uh, who <laughs> has made her mark on on television as an author. Uh, Laura Calder, uh, St. John, New Brunswick, uh, born and bred, uh, but uh, known across the planet. Uh, Laura, thank you so much for joining us in the Boiling Point. Thanks for having me. That awkward introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to meet you, Laura. Nice to meet you too. And uh, yeah, and we were just chatting before we got the recording going about how um, you know you're still very connected to the to the Maritimes. you know, you're, are you living in Toronto now or where, where are you? I'm living in Toronto. I got married and uh, so I can't get out of here. But um, <laughs> my whole family is in New Brunswick, though. Okay. Yeah, on the Kingston Peninsula. And yeah, so- for, uh, for those who aren't as familiar with your, uh, with your, your career, um, do you want to give us a few highlights, uh, you know, even starting with some of the television uh, projects that you've been involved with? Well, a big highlight is, uh, of my life was that I pursued uh, – a passion, which at the time was food, but it's expanded beyond that. And I went to France for seven months and stayed for seven years, for 10 years, actually. So um, that led to a television show called French Food at Home on Food Network and various other networks uh, around the world. And uh, so far, I've written five books. The last one wasn't a cookbook. It was called The Inviting Life, Hosting, Homemaking and Opening the Door to Happiness. And um, now I'm on my next, which is a cookbook about hosting. And, and that is exactly what we want to talk about today. So um, Laura, you and I have, have already talked about the concept of hosting in, in the last few calls that we've had. Um, let's just talk about what does being a good host mean? Because I think most people think, oh, you're having a party. You're the host. You have to, you know, there's a, a set of uh, expectations and standards. But hosting is so much more, uh, according to, to you. Well, I've given it a lot of thought, and I think I have, um, this may be a surprising answer, but when you boil it down, 
I think the single most um, greatest quality of a good host is actually presence, uh, the quality of that person's presence. And um, I mean, can you quote the Queen? Can right. you tell me anything the Queen has said? Yeah, wait, no. <laughs> you can't. This is one of the most <laughs> prominent women in the world. And you can't remember a single thing she said because, in fact, she's probably more famous for not for not for what she doesn't say. But it's her presence that's that's her power. And I think that's true with all leadership. And it's true with hosting. You know, that's the way you show up affects everything else. So true. I think when she when she when she brings a states person in, um, you know, what clothes is she wearing how is she holding her gloves i mean there's all mm-hmm. these kind of markers and and things that and didn't wasn't was the famous thing when she was uh, donald trump uh, she she wore um oh gosh something that was kind of um dismissive of him i think in some way but i mean it was just now whether that was intentional or that's the media playing you know mm-hmm. but so true laura like it's yeah she has and, and i think the aura you project also also the kind of ambiance you think of um Greg, I've talked to you about this before, but uh, entrances of our houses, if you can apply that to business too, like what's the first thing someone feels? It's like first impressions when you meet someone and the handshake and the eye contact and all that. It's the Mm. same thing when you walk into a house. It should be, I mean, ideally it's this, you're taken away from the outside world. There's a transition and then you're in to some place that's completely different and will have an effect on you. And so even you're talking about your office space, that's also key yeah it's it's really neat to look at it that way as well like um we also talked uh laura about being a host to your yourself your own life yeah you know being a good host i should say well Uh, yeah i think that links into the presence thing because you have to take care of number one first i.e you otherwise you just can't be available to people and i think uh, i think uh, another thing is um alertness which is one of the great problems of our time because this is where everybody is, right? Mm-hmm. In front of the phone. And I think, you know, right now I'm noticing a lot of people, a good host is always watching. I mean, they may not say much, but they notice the empty glass. They notice the lonely guy in the corner. They notice the, I don't know, someone's not eating something you made. So, and you try to take care of all those little things. And I think it's a very people focused form of leadership, which, um, you know, some businesses could, uh, Take a few lessons from. Yeah, totally. Well, so when did you start, I mean, noticing and thinking about this? Like, I mean, has this been just something that you've always just intuitively comes to you? Or is there, was there a time, a point in time where, or was there a person or an experience that, that really? Very young, I'd say. I'd say, you know, sort of 10. As soon as I could cook, I, I was always worried about how people felt. And I'd get the family together, including grandparents. And I just want everyone to be happy. Not that we weren't a happy family, but I sort of thought my grandparents may be a lonely or I could see the transformation when everyone came around the table. And I started, I, I've done it all my life through university and school. I, um, it's, a, it's gathering, noticing who, who needs things. It's, that's, I guess you say instinctive, but it must come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to write about it um, and to help educate people and maybe create awareness what new learning has happened with you or, or is, is it, is it a deepening of this or like what, what's that experience been like? Definitely. I, I, I think about it a lot and I do it a lot. And I have, um, you know, during this whole COVID period, 
it's amazing how many people are isolated, young and old. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't tell you how many people actually call up and say, please have me for dinner. <laughs> wow. Or what are you doing? Can I come over? And it's, um, there are certain people that I make sure I, I take care of, but I also get a lot of requests and people just want to be in this embrace. And I, you can get distracted by these ideas of hosting, you know, what's the food going to be? What's the, how are you setting the table? Which is all wonderful. But what people really need is that sense of security and sense of belonging and um, community and all, all those things. And um, that's another good thing for business too, the relationship building side of hosting. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a diplomat, this was sort of a year ago, and he had been ambassador to, I forget, South Africa or something. And he said at a certain point, uh, a prime minister who shall remain nameless said, we're cutting your entertaining at home budgets, take people to restaurants. And he said that his ability to get things done tanked because when you have people into your home, you create, there's an intimacy that you just don't get in a restaurant. In a restaurant, first of all, you're not really the host, someone else is. Even if you're the host, there's still another level of person who's responsible. And also the walls have ears, so you don't get the same depth of conversation. Anyway, he said it was a disaster. And because if you had someone to your house, he said you could just pick up the phone anytime, call them, get key information, get introductions you needed, um, and also keep those relationships uh, solid. So that's, you know, entertaining is a lot about that. It's not just having fun. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Uh, Laura, I don't know if Dave uh, knows about the project you and I uh, did in France, in Paris. So fun. Um, but it was really interesting, Dave. We uh, <clears throat> Laura had an idea where uh, her and her friend Phil would create a hosted experience in France for French people <laughs> who have a very specific, uh, you know, expectation for what a dinner party should be. Mm-hmm. So we have Phil and Laura from Toronto coming in and uh, taking all the care all day, going to the market, you know, getting the flowers, all the details of being a, a good host, but they ended up hosting people, uh, hosting this incredible evening at somebody else's house with a whole crew of people. Yeah. And Laura, you did a great job being a host of a place so that you know, and uh, so this is a skill set that you actually have have that you can actually bring out in other people's spaces. I, I guess now that we're speaking, uh, was that odd? Was that an extra level of pressure for you? I've done that so know? many times, so many times, because I have friends who can't cook, a, you know, cook a glass of water. So um, I often find myself going across town, um, wherever I'm living, to cook dinner at someone else's house. And I think uh, I like that pop-up idea of pop-up host because you could almost, you can go anywhere to any space, really. It doesn't even have to be inside and just say, okay, what's the ideal thing to do here? What's this spot begging to turn into, to be a place of celebration and connection? And then you think about all the details, which is fun. Hmm. I was, you know, I was really fortunate. I grew up where my mother, um, um, would host these wonderful parties and just, you know, and I didn't appreciate it as a kid, like what the details, like the flowers and, you know, learning at a young age, you know, how to use the cutlery properly mm-hmm. and stuff that in, as I got older, I've really appreciated because I don't have to worry about that. Cause I know how to, you know, where to start yeah. with the spoons and the knives and or, you know, and I just feel, and I don't know if everyone's has that experience. So we're trying to even like try to give our kids mm-hmm. that experience. And, and I thankfully married someone who, has a similar approach to hosting and thinking of all these things. And 
Um, and I, I'm just guessing, like, there must be, you know, a benefit to that exposure probably from, from a young age. For, yeah, for manners, for learning how, how to treat other people. There's so much that happens at a table, so much. I mean, people wonder why when you are applying for a job, there's always that dinner before you get hired, you know, or lunch or whatever. You have to show up. Are you on time? Are you not on time? You have to greet people. You have to talk. Are you, do you butt in on everybody? Do you give people room? Are you a listener? Mm-hmm. You have to know how to use your cutlery and eat food. Are you a mess or are you competent? Are you skilled? You have to, there's that whole thing around payment if it's a restaurant. There's how you're dressed. Is it appropriate? There's so many things. But for children, you know, literacy rates are proven to be higher in families where everybody eats together. Um, depression and addictions are lower. There's just so much, um, so many statistics on the benefits of eating in the company of other people. That's interesting for when it comes to business as well. Like like, uh, as teams, for example, like, you know, I I think we're all very blessed when we have companies that we see each other as part of a family, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and like we do here at Henning's house. And I I, I feel it's because we, you know, we do go out and break bread, if you will, often. And uh, mm-hmm. that might be just going out for beers on a, a Friday afternoon, yeah. but doing it together in uh, informally, but being together outside of work and just using food as a reason. Well, there's be- something about food that's different. I think it's more bonding even than, um, I mean, you could always all go take a walk together, but that doesn't do it because with food, you share it. You know, there's passing back and forth. It's uh, th- there's interaction. There's it's I don't know any other activity that bonds like that for groups. This I'm just thinking this podcast is like standing in behind a window and licking an ice cream in front of people who can't get any because <laughs> none of us can entertain right now. And here we are talking about. Well, we're, we're, we're relatively fortunate here in New Brunswick, as you know. Yeah. I just went for lunch with a business colleague and, you know, it's a great way to, you know, that's why I was just on time today. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. Two minutes to spare. And, you know, but it's, it, but, and I wanted to, to suck all the time out of it because I really enjoy, you know, just sitting across and having a conversation and, yeah, you know, the time it takes to get the food. It's, it's like, um, you know, I, well, I actually believe I don't smoke a lot of cigars, but smoking a cigar creates good conversation because it takes time. You can't mm-hmm. do Right. That's interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wanted to ask you about like, so, but let's go back to presence. Um, like I'm an executive coach, Laura. Um, and we, and we deliver coaching. Um, so we have, you know, we go through a pretty rigorous training and you learn about this thing called coaching presence mm-hmm. and it's the ability to, um, to, and you can enhance it and develop it. And it's ability to, to gain trust and it's ability to, um, help someone feel safe and its ability to, you know, like we, I, we talk about listening um, beneath the words or between the words. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this idea of contextual, like listening to understand versus listening to be understood. Um, and it's such a, it's such a powerful thing when you're on the other side of it. Like when I, you know, I have a coach and, and mm-hmm. it's a way of just, uh, and it can, doesn't even have to be face to face. You can do, you can hear it over the phone, but it's, you, you can, I read, I was reading, I've read a lot about this stuff too. And, uh, one, the question was, how can you tell you walk into a room full of people, who's the king of the room? And the answer was, it's the one with the calmest breathing, uh, which just, you know, those people who are just steady and solid, that takes work to get like that, because the world is constantly poking us and shifting the rug and trying to 
So, but the people who can have that solidity really um, give reassurance to everything and everyone around them. I love I that. I think about, and I've, I, I have been in that, uh, in this position before myself, but I think about people who just suck the air out of a room. Yeah. You know, I, I as well have been hosting for many, many years. Like I've always been a, a, mm-hmm. a party, party animal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like I always made environments for people to be able to party in their way. But like you say, always t- taking care of. So my version of party was making sure that we had the space for people to party. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Um, but always, usually in places where there's insecurity and people don't know each other, there's going to be somebody that's going to suck the air out of the room. Mm-hmm. And, um, just because they have to position themselves because they're the opposite of what you just said. The the, the, the calm, how does that relate to hosting? Because we all know that experience, you know, and uh, it can ruin an, an evening. Yeah. Well, there's some people who can be, who are really, really difficult, but there are also ways that you can, that you can calm people down because that's what they need. This, you know, freakish need for attention or whatever. There's a way to just bring everybody down or people who need to toot their own horns and really, um, aggrandize themselves for security that means it's just a broadcast of their insecurity so you have to you have to try to work to get them to where they're trying to get themselves right they're trying to steady themselves with this stuff they're trying to self-soothe and all that stuff yeah it's tough but that's one of the things about a good host it's a skill to get yeah and and when you're monitoring a room whether it's a a party a dinner party or a business event um to have that skill saying okay this person incredible insecurity and they're being very loud. How do I respect them and make sure they feel welcomed, but also have the skill to, to bring it down a few notches without go silent. It's just like getting that glare from your dad when you've done something you shouldn't have done. You know, it's just, there's not a word. It's just. (laughs) Look at those eyes. You, you had it in the eyes. (laughs) It is an art though. I was just thinking, I was reflecting on a time. Um, I'll give a shout out to Paul Zed. I uh, went to his place. He had this big party uh, right across from um, Jamie Gallagher's place, uh, Shadow Lawn Inn, the, the mm-hmm. house there. And uh, and I I was um, just amazed to see someone to move through the room like he did. He's also a politician at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was you know probably is probably what made him a good politician. But I I was like, man, that's incredible to remember everyone's names to to make everyone feel like kind of welcomed. And it was like, it was exactly what you're describing, Laura. It was, I mean, that's, that's hosting, but that's also, I mean, that's basically being a politician too. I mean, I know there are other aspects, but um, I'm I'm interested in your business. Now I have to go look it up about this presence and hosting because it's powerful. The way you hold yourself, the way you, all that stuff, um, people feel it. I was thinking as as you're describing, who's the king in the room or the queen in the room Mm -hmm. um, is, uh, is, is the, is the confidence that comes with that. You know what I mean? To, to be confident in, in, I'm sensing it's like, I feel like anyways, when I think of, uh, when I see good coaching present is there's a comfort in, in one's own skin. Yeah. And, 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 and being quiet, like you're comfortable being quiet. You don't have to yeah. beat your chest and, yeah. and laugh like a hyena or whatever <laughs> yeah. to get attention. Um, what I want to, could we change gears just quickly? Yeah. How, so how so you grew up in New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and then you know you found yourself in Europe for a decade, and and you're you know do you did you envision yourself like being on uh, having a TV show and writing books and 
you know, because and where would have you grown up in New Brunswick? Like, where exactly? What's the where's the, what's the connection? Well, I think I was. Um, I mean, I went to university. I studied. Uh, I did a liberal arts degree. I studied linguistics. I got a master's in social and organizational psychology. I thought I was going to be. It was that era when everyone was becoming a management consultant. Actually, what I wanted to do, my dream was to become a diplomat. Hmm. I wasn't very diplomatic at the time. I think I'm getting better at that. But anyway, um, that didn't. I wouldn't have liked that now I see in retrospect. So, you know, be careful what you pray for. And um, so I'm glad that didn't happen. But in a way, what I'm doing is that, you know, so many aspects of diplomacy are what I do, except more on my terms than as if I had to, you know, march to the tune of whatever a government told me to do. Um, so I did all that. And then I had a corporate job very briefly and was so miserable I just thought I had this sort of bucket list. I thought, okay, I always wanted to go to cooking school. I'm going to go. And then it just barreled from there. I ended up in California in wine country. And from there I met someone and ended up in France. And from there I met someone, everything was, you know, by accident. I didn't, I didn't look for any of it. I didn't try to get a TV show. It basically landed in my lap. Ooh. Wow. So. If you did tried, it may not have worked the same way. Like there's something about, being in the right place at the right time? Yeah, or? I guess when things are right, they work. I mean, we all actually, I, I believe that in life, the right things are easy. Everyone always says you have to work hard, you have to push. Everything I've tried to force in my life has never worked. And everything that felt easy was right. Like, you think of your romantic life, you meet someone and you have struggle in this very difficult relationship, and you have to work at it. You probably shouldn't be in it. You know, <laughs> Because when a relationship's good, it's easy. <laughs> that is true. Well, I know it's true. What's funny about that is I just, you, I recall the time I was sitting down, I lived in Vancouver, I was with my father and I was telling about dating this, this woman and, and, and it was, I was talking about all the challenges and he, you know, he kind of kindly said, well, do, you know, how long have you been dating? It's about well, three months. Really? And there's this many problems already, you know, and he just had, didn't have to say anything else. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> They're called red flags. <laughs> Run, don't walk. Anyway, oh. um, I mean, obviously people hit, you know, bumps and you have to work through things, but that's, that's different. But when something is chronically difficult or you're rolling a boulder uphill, then maybe leave that boulder and go get another stone and go the other way. It's, you know, that's, and that's a tricky thing because, on, on, uh, and I agree with you, by the way, I think, um, you know, like if I think of coaching, why I enjoy it so much is because, you know, it's something that feels very natural. Um, and, and, and yet the business can be hard of coaching, right. Of, you know, right. And, 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 and it's, a, it's trying to find that tension between at what point do you, do you find another boulder and what time, what time do you have to, you know, kind of use grit and keep moving that boulder because eventually, the, the momentum shifts and the boulder starts going down the hill and, and it becomes easier. You know what I mean? That's a trick. I find that very challenging. I think one of the hard things with what I do and probably with coaching too, is that because it's an intangible, it's very hard to, you know, you have to s convince people of the value of it somehow. And the only way they're going to see the value is by experiencing it, which they have to mm -hmm. agree to do first. So you can't sort of say, you know, give me your money and I will give you this, hat or whatever it's it's something else but i've all my life been very uh always first invested in things like that and not possessions because no one can ever take away education and experience 
Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. What was the corporate experience that was so okay? Are you are you are you um, okay with talking about the sure? <laughs> Do you know that thing sixteen personalities dot com? Yeah. Well, it divides. It's sort of it's it's a bit like Myers Briggs, but it's sixteen um, different archetypes, I guess. So I did that. I forget why someone told me to do it, and I. I, my personality type was advocate, which is less than 1% of people. <laughs> so I didn't fit into that. I don't want to be managed and I don't want to manage anybody. I'm sort of a solo flyer. And I used to hate that questions in interviews. Uh, are you a team player? We don't see any evidence in the C- of CV of you being a team player. I used to scramble around and say, well, I used to play in an orchestra. That's a, like a team. And I used to sing in a choir. That's like a team. But the truth is, in that sense, I'm not a, wasn't a, fit a team player. No. So that's, I think, you know, it's good when I, actually making television was it, you have a team that way, but my role is my role. I'm not trying to do something with three other people. You know, like in elementary school, they say you three get together and come up with a, a game or a story. Uh, just a nightmare. I, 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 <laughs> as you say this, it's, it, I, I think you just give me a lot of clarity. Um, in my world because I, I've got employees and I, I run an, some sort of a ship, but I don't manage these people. Yeah. I, a number of years ago, I read a book called Traction which, that really helped me figure it out that most CEO, most entrepreneurs do two things when they should only do one. One is they're the visionary. Mm-hmm. The, two, they're the integrator. The integrator is the person who actually does the, the, the gritty work. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs try to do both and they fail. Right. And once you're okay with choosing one, doesn't matter which one, choose one and get a partner mm-hmm. to do the other, then flow starts to happen. And I, I practiced it. And uh, Steve is the one here who really is the integrator. And you know, Steve, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I, I don't like managing people at all. And yeah. trust me, I've, I've, had, I've had two kind of real jobs in my life. One working on a cruise ship not real uh, Two working on the film industry, not that real either, but both of those, I was an employee and mm-hmm. I did not, I don't feel like I made a very good employee. So I wonder if I as well am an advocate because I love well, promoting. I was, I was thinking the three of us would have this in common. Like yeah, yeah. I, I've been self-employed my whole life. I try, I try, I had it. I was employed for 18 months. Um, it didn't work and, out and so well. You had employees as well. Yeah. 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 But, it, but it's, it, but it, I think it's that idea of not, you know, there's some environments that are tr- tricky to fit in. It, 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 yeah. You know, but um, I think uh, I've, I've never found a perfect partner and there, there are lots of, I know my weaknesses and one, including one, which is 
I'm, I'm allergic to self-promotion, which isn't very good when you're, um, you know, a single person, but, and, and the business side of things, administrative stuff to me is not interesting. So anyway, one day I'll meet my, uh, what would it be? What's the um, corporate equivalent of a knight in shining armor? <laughs> Two I see. Yes. <laughs> It's Steve Foster. Greg's knight in shining armor. My knight in shining armor. <laughs> He'll love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, we've never mentioned Steve on this podcast, I don't think. So Steve, uh, he's your snuffleupagus. Yeah, no, he's he's real. He's legit. <laughs> so, how do people um, learn more about your book, and how do people learn more about you, Laura? Well, I have. Uh, a website, lauracalder.com. And actually, I just started a newsletter two months ago, which comes out the first of every month. And um, so that's sort of, I'm, I'm, you know, people sort of think you learn all about something, and then you write a book about it. But actually, it's in the process of writing and making things that we tell show ourselves what we know. And learn. And so the newsletter is going to be um, something that evolves, but it's beyond food. It has recipes, it has thoughts, it has um, things I've discovered that, you know, products I find that I'm not selling them, you know, it's not my, uh, I don't get anything out of it. But I mentioned things that I think this is really something worth knowing about. And uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So uh, I'm around, just not very loud. <laughs> Don't worry. There's people like us that can be loud on your behalf, Laura. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> no, but but it was interesting. I've you've I've run across you uh, your name a few times. This is the first time we've met. So you're doing you know something's working out there in terms of I, I'm familiar with you. Um, and I think it's like I just won't go away. <laughs> but I have I, I I have staying power. But I'm not. Uh, I I don't know if I've really bloom. I I don't think I've found. I'm still looking for the what's the exact contribution? And at first I thought I was interested in cookbooks, but that's not it. Because for me, without the context, food is, is not that interesting. You know, you need to understand the whole art of how you live and um, all the ways you come to the table and um, pay attention to little things in life, make things nice, take something that's, you know, you notice something in your house that's crooked or off the bad energy that those things give off and turning them around. So I'm, going around that theme and trying still, I think, to find my exact niche, but helps to get older. <laughs> the, the wisdom of, of all of us uh, getting older a little, a little tiny bit, I, I you know, just as a, as a closing thought, <clears throat> you know, I, we talk about this often, Dave, just kind of like the, uh, you know, being at this age and still contemplating purpose, not, not purpose as far as why am I here on earth, but really what is that contribution? But mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's hard for each of us to recognize that our contribution has actually been quite uh, 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 important, uh, but we haven't felt that we haven't felt we've made the impact yet. You know? Well, and I think the question, a question to ask is, how can I help? And usually it's in ways that are just, there's, it's, in the, it's in the things we do that are so innate to us that we don't even notice that we are already helping, but we don't see that. So we're always trying to get this skill or do this thing that will define us, but it's already all there. And so it's really, how can I help? Maybe the question is, how am I already helping? And other people will reflect it back to you too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm in search mode. Well, that, that's probably going to be the name of your next book. How Man's I Search for Meaning. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
way to, to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much. I, thank I'm, you so much. Or the Atlantic bubble to open up so you can come back home and we yeah, can. Yeah. And I want to meet and talk about this business at our new place. Uh, it's, it's long overdue. So yeah. And one day we'll shoot. Yes. We have to <laughs> bring the band back together, bring the band back together. So great talking to you too. Hey, Laura. Yeah. Thanks care. so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of boiling point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling.
I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.